Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV radio and podcast. I'm Steve Day. He's Todd Erzin. He is Aaron McIntyre. Coming up on today's show for fake news or not at the bottom of this hour, we're going to discuss the state of American masculinity is the decline of American masculinity, fake news or not. And why does that matter? We'll get into that at the bottom of the hour. Next hour, buddy of mine, former University of Iowa football player Siaka Masakoy is an actor out in Hollywood. You might recall earlier this year, we gave you the profile of a group called Hollywood for Freedom. He's a member of that group. In fact, I had a chance to be on his uh, a pod- or on a podcast with him. I think uh, that was the Bryce Eddy show out there in California earlier this year and meet him and his wife and spend some time with them. And I got word over the weekend that uh, he was arrested with his pregnant wife at the airport over three years later for just being at January 6th. Never went, just went to the Trump rally, never went inside. Just they arrested him over three years later and charged him with four felonies. Thankfully, like too many of the other people that have been arrested. He has not been indefinitely detained, at least not yet. He's going to join us to share his story. And and what's next now when you're targeted by the weaponized DOJ? He's going to join us here next hour on the show. And then for Pop Culture Tuesday, we're going to take a look, we're going to take a look at the new Hunger Games prequel film because I had no plans to see it actually until your review. And then my son came home he kind of took one for the team. His girlfriend's a big Hunger Games fan, and he like uh, just, uh, I'm not interested. But he decided to take one for the team. And Noah has become a very uh, choosy cinephile, I guess we'll put it that way. His standards are really high. And he came home and gave it a great review, too, said it really surprised him. You gave it a, a great review, Todd. It's amazing. So with, with the assurance of both my son and your opinions, both of whom I trust, I went and saw it over the weekend, and I was absolutely blown away by how good it was. Not to mention the story. To the point, you know, we've done this with a few films, most famously Wonder Woman over the, over the years on this show. We've, we, when we've looked at the worldview presented in the movie, it has prompted us to ask, do these people understand what they are saying? Do these Hollywood leftists who are making all these films, when a film has the kind of message that the Hunger Games prequel does, do they understand what they're saying, right? Yeah. Are they cognizant of it or not? So we'll get into that coming up for Pop Culture Tuesday. Uh, I want to get into this note really quick uh, from, uh, from Alyssa Gehring, who says, you know, I, on your advice... I ordered the three-pack of Eden Pure Thunderstorm purifiers when our litter of puppies was born, and they were on back order, and I was kind of getting irritated with how long it was taken for them to get here. I heard from a few of you along those lines. That's Blame that on our show. You guys, apparently we did such a good job selling the Eden Pure Thunderstorm purifier that they, uh, we, 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 or, or, it's let's go, Brandon. Maybe we both get credit. <laughs> All right. They were they their supply chain was uh, was uh, was was a little tested earlier this year. But eventually, she says, um, I I finally got my thunderstorm air purifiers, and uh, I plugged it in to give it a try. In a matter of hours, the puppy smell. You know, when you're training a litter of puppies, it's going to be a smell. Uh, the puppy smell 
along with every other dog smell in the house, was replaced with a clean, fresh smell. I then took one to my pet grooming salon, and the wet dog smell was replaced by that same fresh smell. And I've gotten such great results. These babies work. I even ordered three more. So thank you for that, Melissa. If you... We've had so many success stories with the with the Eden Pure Thunderstorm Air Purifier. Over 350,000 units sold, thousands of five-star reviews. These things work. You've heard you've, how many how many notes like this have you heard me share over the last couple of years since they partnered up with us here on the show? Save $200 on that three-pack uh, that Melissa is buying a second round of right now for whole home protection. That's three units for under 200 bucks. Just go to EdenPureDeals.com, enter the discount code Steve. That's EdenPureDeals.com, discount code Steve. Plus, you get free shipping at EdenPureDeals.com, discount Discount code Steve. And with that, let us begin, as we always do, with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away, brought to you by Commie Goes Boom. Virginia man named James Yu wrote a series of paranoid screeds online about how America is a terrorist country before blowing up his Arlington house last night in an explosion that could be heard from the White House. Police were attempting to serve a search warrant at his house after he had repeatedly fired numerous flares into the air. In the lead up to the explosion, Yu had posted on his LinkedIn profile anti-government screeds and even accused his neighbors of spying on him because, quote, that's how white people operate. That's basically all we know about what happened so far. House Republicans have passed a bill that bans the use of national parks to house illegal aliens. The bill is in response to the Biden administration's policy that allows unvetted illegals to camp out in national parks on the taxpayer's dime, of course. Meanwhile, what you're seeing here is a line. Oodles of Chinese illegal alien men who have crossed the border near Yacumba Hot Springs, California. House Committee on Oversight and Accountability Chairman James Comer released subpoenaed bank records revealing Hunter Biden's business entity, Owasco PC, made direct monthly payments to Joe Biden. Hunter Biden is currently under an investigation by the Department of Justice for using the Awaska PC corporate account for tax evasion and other serious crimes. A new independent audit of the Walt Disney Company's special governing district in Florida that was blown up by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis shows a, quote, stunning deviation from the good governance standards of the state of Florida. The audit consisted of a forensic audit of the district's finances, as well as analysis of governing structures and urban planning. It found that Disney used shady tactics to maintain its control of power, handpicking government officials and making payments to district employees that were akin to bribes. It also used the district to avoid taxation and thrust costs on taxpayers in surrounding communities. During Ron DeSantis' swing through Iowa over the weekend, he once again hit Donald Trump for his handling of COVID. I'm the only candidate running who will bring a reckoning to these agencies. Only one. And I don't even think, I don't even think that's up for debate because, you know, Donald Trump, he says everything he did in COVID was right. That's what he says. He will never admit a mistake. He says everything he did was right, including elevating Fauci, turning the government over to Fauci, not firing Fauci, and indeed on his last day in office, you know, did he help the people that, that, uh, that got caught up in the Capitol stuff that he told to go there? Did he do any support for them? No, but he did give a commendation to Dr. Fauci on his last day in office. So, you know, to me, if he could even get elected, he is not going to want to revisit the COVID stuff because he's just going to view it as 
it's going to be potentially critical of him, and he's not going to do it. And here's the thing. We all make mistakes, and, and, and everything, and, and I've done things I've said, you know, in hindsight. Knowing what we know now, how they handled it in his administration was wrong, okay? It was the wrong approach. Maybe no one had better information at the time, although I do think that they did get information soon and they should have reversed course. But put that aside. Knowing what we know now, would you still do the same things that you would do? His answer to that question is yes. And to me, that is disqualifying. Checking in on Nikki Haley circa March of 2020. Confession, I look forward to watching Governor Cuomo's press conference every day. I get a kick out of how he talks about government issues and then goes into a therapy session. Hashtag my daily confession during Corona. Learning Chinese today, today's phrase is she's just being sarcastic. Quote, I'm not being sarcastic. I'm serious. I enjoy watching his press conferences. And finally, an oldie, a goodie, and by request, here's Miss South Carolina, who went viral again this week. Recent polls have shown a fifth of Americans can't locate the U.S. on a world map. Why do you think this is? I personally believe that U.S. Americans are unable to do so because uh, some people out there in our nation don't have maps and uh, I believe that our ed education like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq everywhere like such as and I believe that they should uh, our education over here in the U.S. should help the U.S. Or, or should help South Africa and should help the Iraq and the Asian countries so we will be able to build up our future for our Thank you very much, South Carolina. And that's what happened while we were away. What made that go viral again? I don't know. Some big viral video account retweeted that this week. It's an all-timer. Yeah. You used to hear it every week on the Steve Day Show if you're a long yeah, it's time. All, it, yes, yes. It's, 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 an Wednesday. it's an all-timer. It, uh, and Jesse Spano. Uh, thank you. At the end, <laughs> I always thought that part. Uh, he's got this look on his face. And at the uh, Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Indeed. Aaron's Montage brought to you by our friends over at Patriot Mobile. For a decade now, they have been on the vanguard of helping to build the parallel economy, which we desperately need, is not yet fully realized. But thankfully, one place where it is, is with one product we all must use in this day and age of uh, being modern Americans. And that's our mobile phones. So make the switch today to America's only American mobile phone company. You don't have to directly give money to people who hate you any longer. And they also have an outstanding product and outstanding customer service at Patriot Mobile. That's really their product is their customer service. And they do a phenomenal job. If you're a veteran or first responder, make the switch. Uh, and when you make it, let them know. They've got extra ways to say thank you for your service if you do. Uh, for the rest of us right now, uh, we have a limited time offer that makes switching for you as easy as possible. And if you want to get a new phone, now's the time. You can get a free smartphone from Patriot Mobile if you go to patriotmobile.com slash Steve and make the switch today. Patriotmobile.com slash Steve. You need to use the promo code FRIDAY76. Use the, use the promo code FRIDAY76 and get a free smartphone when you make the switch today for a limited time at patriotmobile.com slash Steve or 972-PATRIOT is the number. That's 972-PATRIOT. All right, let's get to uh, some of, uh, as much of Aaron's montage as we, as we possibly can. On, on the Disney audit, last night, uh, Amy and I were uh, perusing the various uh, platforms out there 
the streaming platforms out there looking for Christmas content, stuff we had not seen before. And on, uh, on, on Disney Plus, we found a documentary. It's 15 years old. And I have to tell you, I'm kind of surprised it's on the platform and... I don't know that they would make this documentary today. It, uh, it was a documentary about uh, Walt Disney's personal Christmas memories. And if, if you have Disney Plus, I would highly recommend you watch this. It's narrated by one of his daughters, has a lot of private home video footage, stuff going back to the 1930s to the 1940s. Uh, Christmas vacations, private vacations, things they did as a family, all right? But one of the things that really stuck out to me is, one, as a, as a dad myself, and with one daughter married off, another daughter who's off on her own, you know, trying to make her way in the world, a son who is heading into the second half of his junior year and will soon also be... Um, off to make his uh, make his way in the world in his own way. You know, I think back to when I was a younger dad, and you know, my fear now as an older dad, my fear now that that creeping feeling I have, and if you've been in my position, you know what I'm talking about, is that I I didn't do enough. I'm out of time. I should have done more. When you're a younger dad, the creeping feeling is when they get older, are they still going to want to be around me? So when you're a younger dad, you're worried about the future. When you're an older dad, you're worried about the past. Did I, did I redeem the time? Did I, did I do what I needed to do? And then they reach that age where there's not much more you can do and you just kind of watch them go out into the world and you kind of just, well, you just kind of wait and find out. <laughs> okay. And, um, to hear Walt's children on this documentary uh, discuss how much they loved their father, how good of a dad he was, I think is one um, one of the best testimonies a man can have, obviously. But here are some things that um, they they stressed in this documentary. One, Christmas didn't begin at the Disney house until dad brought the nativity out. Says that right in the documentary. That, that, that is what officially made it Christmas. Uh, it showed some footage of old Disney Christmas parades, and you see reenact, live reenactments of the nativity. You see uh, three wise men in the parade. It showed, um, or it, it talked about Dad always, one of his daughters says, Dad always had a major star. Keep in mind, no one's won or been nominated for more Academy Awards than Walt Disney. And I believe actually today's his birthday, right? Wasn't it today in 1901 when he was born, I want to say? I don't know. I think today's actually his birthday. When Amy and I watched this um, last night, we had no idea. We we looked up when he passed away, which was was a little bit before Christmas, 1965 is when he died. And December 5th. Yep, so today's his birthday, 1901, right? So, yep. and uh, one of the daughters says, Dad always made sure at the end of the Christmas parade there was a live reading 
of the actual Christmas story, the biblical Christmas story, and that, and that usually a major star would come in and read it. And she mentioned some of the names that came in and read this over the years. Charlton Heston, Cary Grant were a couple of the names that were mentioned. I mean, these are two of the biggest stars in the history of Hollywood. And they're at Disney World, or at Disney World, Disneyland. Disney World didn't open until after Walt died. Uh, they're at Disneyland reading the Christmas story to all these kids right out of the Bible. Um, the, the, the technology for the first ever simulcast of the Olympics in 1960, Walt Disney basically donated all of it. He was responsible for pretty much all the technology that allowed for the first television simul- American television simulcast live of an Olympics. Talked about how dad basically turned Disney Studios over to the military for the production of military films, anti-propaganda films to help, to help with the war effort. And I'm just, I'm just watching all this, dude. Remember, remember last Christmas when we went, when I came back in January and I told you one of the things I did for a couple days on YouTube was spend a few hours watching old Christmas commercials of uh, from the from the seventies, eighties, and nineties, and how this was just like a completely different country when you watch these commercials compared to what we are today. This this Amy and I were just had a running dialogue the whole time watching this last night. This is like a totally different company it's like it's not the same company it's not it's like a foreign it's like foreign it is okay that's the best word when we were we were trying to describe what we were watching because it did not look like anything had changed it looked like it was something different it was foreign like this is not this is not you know they kind of you know times change things evolve things that weren't okay in 1965 are okay now no this was like a foreign apparatus. It, it, it bears the shell of the name, but it is not the same. That's, all, that's where all the similarities basically end. This, is, this was really striking to watch. Watch um, Netflix, did you say? It's on Disney+. Plus. It's on, it's actually yeah. on. You have to look for it, yeah. though. I mean, we, we went through the Christmas section, and it was almost like the very last thing listed. We were like, what is this? And we clicked on it, and that's what it was. Yeah, well, um, I don't, it's on Netflix, I believe. Did you Have you seen or heard of this Candy Cane Lion? I watched, Eddie Murphy? I, I watched the trailer I, I, last night. I think it's on Amazon. Yeah. It, it's, just, it's just flat out blasphemous. Mm-hmm. It actually, in talking uh, fairly early on in the movie, it uh, uses the Lord's name in vain. In a Christmas movie that's totally, it's not like supposed to be like bad Santa. Mm-hmm. It, they're talking about the meaning of Christmas and to this evil elf who's running. The, and I can't remember the exact setup that is used, but I think Eddie Murphy just says, you mean? And this woman says, uses Lord's JC, no. So it's used as a pejorative, like in a f- family Movie, so that's not a dis that's not a Disney movie, but this is that's the climate. You all cut. It's Eddie. We grew up with Eddie. Mur- we yeah, we know he did Raw, but Eddie Murphy like then had a whole second career doing Flubber and things like that. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of families. <laughs> Kids are going to sit down and watch that, and they flat out are blasphemous. Now there is a new movie. I think it's called Genie on uh, I've Peacock. I've seen a commercial, 
and Melissa McCarthy plays a genie, and it actually does elevate the Christmas story in that film. It does pay it some reverence in that film. So, but we're in an era where is it is it Cosmo running articles about? <clears throat> pardon me, running articles about how to literally have a satanic abortion. I mean, that, that's the era in, mm-hmm. wh- in, in which we live. Um, we have not talked a lot about Nikki Haley on this show. I don't really feel the need to. Um, there's a re- I'll just say this. There, there, there's a reason why this year we chose to do three separate whole episodes profiling three candidates. And we said so at the time. Um, Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump, and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And the reason why is because they're the only three that represent, in, in, in my view, and it's my show, so it's my view. Um, but in my view, they're the only three that represent any form of provable disruption of the current political rot gut in their own way. They're, they're all unique figures for sure. We're not saying they're the same. We even went through an exercise where we even rated them all on the life issue, for example. Okay. But in their own way, they are the only provable change agents. I mean, Nikki Haley is for people who love corporations more than America and God. I will, I don't, I won't have to worry about this because she won't be, but I will absolutely vote for Robert F. Kennedy Jr. over Nikki Haley without hesitation. Won't even, I don't believe there's a moral case to vote for Nikki Haley, which is why we didn't profile her. If I thought there was one, we would have vetted her, but because I don't, I won't. And I will absolutely vote for Robert F. Kennedy Jr. over her. I just wanted to clarify that here. Since in some circles, she appears to be having a moment. And really all you need to know about Nikki Haley is, she she has she's she's having a one state surge in new hampshire why does that matter <clears throat> uh, you're talking about sacrilege just a minute ago mm-hmm. right what, what you know what the least churched state in america is can you guess what is the least churched state in the union per capita did you just give us a hint i just gave you a pretty uh, blatant hint in fact mm. it's new hampshire new hampshire is the least churched state in the union so it makes total sense Someone who worships at the altar of American corporatism, who literally said, speaking of Disney, when Ron DeSantis punched him in the mouth, come to South Carolina and tranny our kids and pedo groom our kids instead. Okay. Makes total sense that the place where they are, they're, they're warming up to her, according to polls, they're warming up to her is the least churched state in the union. Two plus two equals four. At least I bring this up so that, you know, in these uncertain times, there is still some certainty. A woman who represents godless corporatism is surging in a largely godless state. And in these times, I think especially now here during the Christmas season, we, we, need, we need some certainty again. And so that math works. A lot of the other math we're being sold today or for the last few years hasn't worked out, has it? No. That math has not been good. But a woman who thinks corporations are God... Surging in a state that doesn't believe in God. That math adds up, actually. It does. It does. So just wanted to make a note of that. Uh, Which brings me to what DeSantis was saying about Trump and COVID. We are only here as a country because of the mistakes that were made 
the final year of the Trump presidency, driven by COVID. The inflation spike began with the printing of all that money with the various COVID bonuses, payouts. The, the largest lockdowns were the largest redistribution of wealth scheme in American history, in world history, really. We, we lost over 10,000 small family businesses permanently, erased, never returned after lockdowns. Over 10,000 of them. We've done this 180. <clears throat> Man, sorry, I can't clear my throat today. We've done this 180 in foreign policy, which in my view was the crowning achievement of the, of the Trump presidency. Was the, they were phenomenal in foreign policy. We, but where did the power come from to do a 180 and depart from all of that? Well... Because they got to steal the last election. Where'd they get the power to steal the last election? Well, Trump moronically handed him $400 million. Someone came at me on Twitter today. Well, I can document they were planning this years before. Well, I mean, I can plan lots of things years before. Until someone gives me $400 million, though, I probably can't pull them off. Know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm plotting to be, I'm, I'm plotting to, for, I'm plotting all kinds of things that I would like to pull off and do. But no one gave me $400 million, so I'm unable to do them. They're just plots. They're just blogs. You know how it becomes goes from a blog to a plot? When someone gives you $400 million. Fair. It's a blog until they give you $400 million, then it becomes a plot. Okay? And he did. Handed his enemies $400 million to steal the election from them they were planning to already steal. We could do this all day. There is no poisonous jab for Joe Biden to kill unknown who knows how many people Joe Biden killed with that vaccine mandate. That wasn't a vaccine. We, we may never know what the true numbers were, but they're at least in the six figures, maybe seven. Well, who wrote the check for that? Trump did. I, I, I mean, everything, we're, we're here because of that. And, and some of you will send me notes. Yeah, I, I, it's like you've never listened to this show. You don't understand me. Your threats of, I'll never subscribe here again. I'll never listen again. They are a symphony to me. I'm not like other people. I'm not financially leveraged in this process. I don't, I don't need a specific outcome to pay my bills. I don't. I'm uncancelable. You can take me off of this platform. You can't take me off all of them. I own everything I do. Everything I do, I own. And that's on purpose. So that none of you can threaten me with anything. I'm only threatened by my creator and by my own immoral stupidity. But not by any external force whatsoever. None of that works. Which is why I won't kiss your ass. And instead I'll say this to you right to your face. When I said all the things I just said before the primary started, you all cheered. In fact, you took a book Todd and I wrote where I made that cover, which has a photo of Trump walking off the stage to hand the presidency to Fauci, correct? Yes. I made that cover. That cover was my idea. What did you all do with that book? Do you remember what they do with that book? Bestseller. Yeah, they made, not just any bestseller. The number one overall bestseller in the country. Not just on a particular category in America for a month. The number one overall best-selling book in America for the month of April 2021 was Fauci and Bargain. So until this primary started, you all loved it when I pointed these things out. And it was only when the primary began that a few of you started liking it less. 
When I, when I was going on Glenn's show throughout the 2020 election, pointing out the psyop of these polls, breaking down these polls and their methodologies, how the math doesn't work, they're not right. They can't possibly be right. Trump's not losing Wisconsin by 16 points like the ABC News Washington Post poll claimed. You all cheered when I did this. When I point out the current primary polls are psyops, some of you, some of you are not, well, you're doing the opposite of cheering. Here's what I'm going to do in response. The same damn thing I was going to do, whether you cheered or not. What I think is true. That's what I'm going to do. Regardless of threat, regardless of outcome. Until either the Lord calls me home or they pry this microphone that I own from my cold, dead fingers. And none of your pressure will change. None of your name calls will change me. None of your threats will. In fact, I enjoy them more than you'll ever know. Which is why until this primary ends, I'm going to keep pointing these things out because they're true. And frankly, they're why we're having a primary at all or this primary. If Trump had not made these mistakes, he'd be president now and we'd be having a completely different primary this year. He'd be wrapping up his second term, but he's not. And the country is literally controlled by demonic inspired domestic terrorists because of the mistakes that he made here and he remains unrepentant did i say anything that is factually inaccurate no no so i'm just gonna go ahead and keep saying it Back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by our friends over at Preborn, the ministry that is looking forward to the day they are no longer needed. Unfortunately, that day is not yet here. Post Roe v. Wade, the battle for life is changed now. Now we're literally doing hand-to-hand combat, soul-to-soul combat now for both the mother and the child, because let's face it. Most women that are thinking of having abortions are women like, well, when my mom thought about aborting me in that situation, 15, unmarried, pregnant. If you're a woman in a secure, fulfilling relationship, you're probably not tempted with murdering your child. It's the women who are afraid, who are scared that are. And so preborn understands that. They understand that it takes both truth and grace. They confront these women out there on the streets, first with the truth of the ultrasound of their baby. So they understand that is not another body, or that is not their body. It is another body. That is somebody else's heartbeat. And over the years, 80% of the time when a woman hears that, she is convicted and doesn't go through with killing her kid. You know that ultrasound, even with Biden inflation, still only costs 28 bucks? You could, you could donate 28 bucks today to, uh, for a tax-deductible gift to preborn for 80% odds of saving a life. Pretty good odds. But then they also understand now that that mom needs grace. She still is not in an easy situation. And they, so, so they offer prenatal care, postnatal care, even counseling, all of this free of charge as well. They love them both. They understand here where the battle truly rages. 
And if you want to help them, we have donated uh, as a family and ourselves. In fact, my wife and I were going over our year-end budget and our year-end giving and put them on the list of who we're going to donate to at the end of the year as well. That's why we'd urge you to do the same thing. Go to preborn.com slash Steve. Make that donation today, please, at preborn.com slash Steve. Or you can dial pound 250, say the keyword baby on your mobile phone. Or if it's easier, like it is for me, preborn.com slash Steve. Let's get to fake news or not. And as we are approaching the end of the year here on the show, a topic that has come up a lot, it's been something we've discussed off and on uh, over the last few years, but especially this year, it has been one of the running themes. If you go and look at uh, our shows uh, in the libraries of our shows going back to January, there's a few topics that were addressed frequently. This was one of them. Where are the men? What is the state of American masculinity? Joined today by a buddy of mine who has discussed this topic quite a bit in his ministry. Pastor Mark Driscoll is here on the show. It is good to see you again, brother. How are you? Good, buddy. Good to see you as well, man. Let's start with this. Let's not, let's not be reactionaries. Are, we, are guys like you and I who have platforms and are lamenting the state of the American man, are we overblowing the, the diminished state of masculinity in America. Are we making too much of it? No, no, it's a, it's a bigger crisis than, uh, than I think anyone's pulling uh, data and noise toward. Um, if you look at young men today, mental health, suicidal ideation, uh, weakness, passivity, NILF, not in labor force, failure to launch, in, inability or unwillingness to move out of their mom's house, not raising children that they father, so they basically just sire. Every data point is a flashing red light of inevitable crisis and cultural doom. And that's not overstating the case. That's just waking up and just visiting reality. If you look at just official government statistics, Mark, I mean, we have the lowest marriage and birth rates we've had as a nation ever. We started keeping these stats in the mid-19th century, all right? Yeah. Um, and for the first time ever, the average 25-year-old American male is more likely to still be living in his in a parental home with one of his parents than living in a separate home with a wife and a child. That's never happened yeah. before in American history. And that's just government data without even looking at what's going on anecdotally. And so quantify this for us. What, what, is, what are the broader cultural implications of what you and I are lamenting? So George Gilder's got an interesting book on men and marriage. It's kind of a classic. And the subtitle is something to the effect of um, civilization is built by men with uh, wives and kids to feed. And so at the end of the day, I've said for decades, and most of my ministry is to young men, and I, I'm a father. I've got three sons, uh, two are married, one's in high school. And uh, at the end of the day, men are like trucks and they drive straighter with a load. And so if you load a man down with a job, a wife, a kid, a mortgage, some responsibility and a tithe, he doesn't have time to vape, play video games, screw around and worry about his mental health. He's too busy getting things done. And so once you take uh, responsibility off of the young man, uh, one of two things happens. He either goes in a, a really sort of self-destructive direction. And he, he takes and channels all of his masculine energy toward toward violence. This is be all the idiots in Antifa and the guys who think it's a full-time job to burn Portland every night. 
or they just become effeminate, they become passive, they become weak, they become woke, and uh, they vote for a government of socialists because they've been over-mothered and under-fathered, and so they want the government to turn into the next mom, and they just want to kind of be on the nipple from womb to tomb. And, and, and when that happens, you don't, have, you don't have men that are creating businesses, generating revenue, making jobs, and a lot of this was exacerbated by COVID, where we told healthy, strong, capable young men, just move in with your mother, sit on the couch, we'll make deposits into your account, you know, order DoorDash, play video games, and get really good at uh, finding cheap porn. So, I mean, that's what we've done. And the meat sack in the White House isn't helping the situation at all. And even the way he fathered his own son is just a joke. It's a travesty. It's, 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 it's horrifying. True or false, you can tell a lot about a culture by the condition of its men. You, the men are literally the leaders in the culture. You can fight that all you want. You could say, you know, men are toxic. Yes, so men are. Our problem is not toxic masculinity. Our problem is a complete and total utter lack of masculinity. Um, if you show me the young men, I'll show you the future. They are, they are Noah's doves going out of the ark, and they're going to determine what the future looks like. And so, if if a young man today, if young men today are broken and unimpressive, then that means that the future is broken and unimpressive. I mean, just just imagine right now that we were Ukraine and we got invaded. You'd have a, a bunch of guys, you know, in, in glittered, bedazzled jeans, you know, throwing sex toys at invaders. And that would be our our effort at a, at a response. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really horrifying. I, I'm trying not to visualize that because it, it's <laughs> frankly true. Um, when you one of the one of one of the things that that we are permitted in, in our society that really no other society of in, in the history of our species has, has ever permitted or or, re, or reached a level of comfort to permit is I guess what I would call a prolonged adolescence this an in-between yeah. stage where you are biologically capable of a man where your creator God gave you the functionality to as a man take take the take part in the creation of life um, that you have the, the body mass, the muscle mass to go out and fulfill the physical duties of a man. So biologically, you are in that place, but emotionally and spiritually, you are not. You're not a full-fledged child. You're in some ethereal in-between, a, a prolonged adolescence. And, I, and, 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 I, and rather than this anxiousness to get out and to test myself in the world, to get out and find a wife so that I can stop having these urges, okay, and to... And, the, the, the drives to actually embrace responsibility, all of the incentive drivers in our culture today are primarily to put those responsibilities off, right? Yeah, I call them boys who can shave. And uh, it used to be that you would go from boy to man, and we've created an intermediate life stage called adolescence. And it used to be your teens, and now it's your 20s, and now it's pushing into your 30s. And so a lot of guys, even in their early 30s, they're still living with their mother. They're still dependent on the government. They're still not in the labor force. And uh, it's like, good night. You've just blown a whole decade of strength and virility and opportunity. And so, you know, we don't have a rite of passage for young men. And the truth is, uh, our, our culture is custom built to castrate and negate strength of masculinity. I mean, I tell the guys uh, in our ministry that, 
you know, you can get a women's studies degree. You can't get a man's studies degree. Uh, there's the National Organization for Women. There's not a national organization for men. If you want to figure out how to not be a porn head, how to get a job, how to buy a house, how to marry a woman and how to father a child, where do you go? I mean, you can get an abortion, but not a class on how to be a dad. You can uh, get government assistance for a single mother, uh, but there's no incentive to being a healthy, responsible father. And so you've, you've really got a culture that's broken by the weakest. And, and in the name of empathy and compassion and sympathy, we keep lowering the bar for the most gender-confused, broken, weak, woke. And the result is that we just continue a decline. And, and so then this explains personal debt. This explains national debt. We just keep spending money. We don't have uh, because men are not active they're passive and and again I mean it's it is a complete and total utter cultural crisis we're probably not going to get invaded and destroyed we're probably just going to you know self-destruct through self-indulgence and laziness but if you look at it right now I think a lot of young men are finally starting to get angry and they need to and for the first time in the last 50 years, there was a major poll that's been done for about 50 years. The average uh, young man who's a senior in high school for the first time is conservative. So there's a generation of young guys that are just like sick of it. They're like, I don't want to argue over freaking pronouns and I don't want to take hormone blockers and I don't want to be castrated. I would like to just get married, have kids, work a job. And today, you know, if you act like your great grandfather today, you're a cultural outlier and an oddball. But in the history of the world, those are the only guys that ever got anything done. And now we're experimenting with something that is just not working. And young men know it. Young men know. Young men, quite frankly, don't want to get up and put a dress on and take puberty blockers and live with their mother and vote for socialists. That, that's just a dead end. And any healthy young man just knows that in his heart. What's the word of God say about everything you and I were just saying? Because we could do just about any conservative show could have much of the conversation that you and I had, maybe have it as good or better. But but ultimately, you and I are both Bible guys. What does the word of God say about the, the, sub, the subject we've been discussing here for the last 10 to 15 minutes and, and its preeminence? God made us male and female. Gender is binary, fixed and unchanging. Um, that God made marriage for one man and one woman, that the marriage covenant is consummated sexually. And so you're not supposed to be living or sleeping with anyone unless they are in a marriage covenant with you. And uh, the sociologists will say that this is the success sequence. Um, a young man, young woman has a 93% chance of avoiding poverty if they graduate from high school, get a full-time job, and don't have a child until after they're married. If you just do those three things, statistically, you're going to succeed. And so all of this just aligns with the word of God. And so what I tell my sons is, you are a man, you are not a woman. You were made hardwired, designed by God to be a man. As a man, your job is to leave your mother and father, to launch as early as possible, to pay your own bills, to be responsible, to take a woman in marriage, that's the language of the Bible, to consummate that covenant to enjoy a sexual relationship exclusively with her, uh, to have children, to father and raise those children. Any man who does not provide for the needs of his family, the Bible says, has denied the faith and he's worse than an unbeliever. And the Bible is clear that
here that any man who is unwilling to work should also be willing to not eat, and he needs to pay his own way. And when you put these responsibilities on a man, they rise up to the occasion. And that's why the Bible talks over and over to men and women, fathers and mothers, sons and daughters, um, because it speaks to the duties and responsibilities of men and women. And when men and women live within those God-given parameters, God blesses them and God helps them and God assists them. And when they rebel against that, they self-destruct, which leads to suicidal ideation, mental health issues, generational debt, and it's just frankly not working. And so the good news is about the Bible, it doesn't just tell us what used to happen, but what should happen. And it's not an old book, it's an eternal book. And uh, the truth is, you know, right now, everything being taught on the college campus is just an experiment that'll fail. And the word of God has been true for thousands of years, and it proves itself integrous over and over and over and over. I've been faithfully married to one woman for 31 years. We've got five kids that are all healthy and know and love and serve the Lord. Three are married, all at the age of around 21. We've got two grandsons. Uh, we didn't do it perfect, but we tried to do it God's way. And it, I'll tell you what, it just freaking works. It works, it works because it's true. Mm. Mark, people want to hear more like this. How can they find you? Where would you direct them to go? Uh, thank you, buddy. And I appreciate your friendship, too. And Steve, I, I don't know. I'm not a flatter, but I'll just say this. I appreciate you because you've got the heart of a pastor, but the courage of a prophet. And um, you care about people, but also, too, you're not willing to just bend the knee for expediency or political affiliation. You're trying to say and do what's right. And as Maybe, you know, I consider you a friend and a brother, and I, I, I respect you and I honor you. I know that there are times that that's going to hurt your ability to be platform because you're not party line guy. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think your faithfulness to God is something that is going to give you a, a very long shelf life because you have integrity. And those of us who know you, we appreciate you and we trust you. And uh, and I love you, buddy. And I'm just I'm grateful for you and I'm proud of you. And I just feel like I need to say that as a pastor and as a brother um, for for me, I'm just an old school Bible teacher. Uh, Realfaith.com has got everything I've ever done. And I'm um, kind of in that age now where I'm just trying to help the young guys. I, I have a heart for young men. And um, a lot of my ministry is to young men. And I feel like they've been overfathered, excuse me, overmothered, underfathered. And I believe that if you want to change the world, you need to get young men. And I believe when God decided he was going to change the world, he came as a young man. And so if God's going to come into the world as a young man, that must mean that God's plan begins with the young men. And so I love Jesus and I love young men. If you go to realfaith.com, a bunch of Bible teaching is there and hopefully it's helpful. Very well said. And I appreciate the kind words, brother. Thank you very much. Feeling is mutual. Thank yep. you. Appreciate you, buddy. Tell your family we said howdy. I will. You do the same. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. You bet. Thoughts on that conversation? Bill? First and foremost, it's got to start right here. You know, how, how much of your life, in terms of what you do and the time you spent doing it, is clearly directly or indirectly not anointed by what Mark Driscoll said? And in this culture, almost inevitably, the answer is quite a bit. And we need to be honest about that. First, when I talk about how the church and the unchurched in terms of how their lives outwardly, what they reflect, that Venn diagram is oftentimes just a circle. That's a problem.
you know, when cruise control on vehicles were, was originally introduced, there was no eyesight, no cameras tracking to, you know, slow you down. If you leave cruise control on wherever you go, or just leave it on on the highway, what's going to happen eventually if you don't tap the brakes and if you don't navigate? You'll run into. You're gonna run into. Yeah. You're gonna run into what's ahead of you, mm -hmm. and probably take a lot of people with you. Don't be on cruise control. If you're a dad that heard that message, do not be on cruise control. That's a good word. Back here with Hour 2, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Totters and Aaron McIntyre and all of you. And you can all, though hopefully not all at once, let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. Feel free to email us, Steve, at SteveDace.com. D-E-A-C-E. -E. Like us on Facebook, MeWe, and Gab. You can follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter, Gitter, Instagram, and TikTok, and if you listen to the podcast, please, if you have not done this yet, and even if you have, do you know, Aaron, is there a rule about multiple five-star reviews? There's not, no. I mean, is there anything stopping anybody? Not saying that I would be so petty and immature as to do this. I am. Uh, but, uh, it, I mean, could I, like, just log on under several different names and leave myself scores of five-star reviews? Let's try it. Let's find out. I mean, I, wouldn't, I would never try to game the system that way. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I just think that's completely unethical behavior. Do it. Um, but uh, Also really helps if you leave a comment as well. Not just a review. Yes. A comment as well. Any comment will yeah. do. Any. Uh, will do. Negative or positive. Uh, thank you to all of you who have left us those five-star reviews. And we appreciate each and every single one, especially legit ones. Maybe even the illegit, more, illegit ones even more. Uh, hit subscribe or follow if you're on iTunes. And then every time you do that... Uh, you'll get uh, one of our new episodes every time we do one of those. It shows up right in your feed, and thanks to those of you that have done that for us as well. Thanks to our friends over at Perfect Sleep Chair. Oh, yes. Anything better? Provided, because I want to make sure we do have that conversation we just had with, with Pastor Driscoll. Got to put this in the right context, right? Okay. <laughs> this may not be the best segue in the world. After you've put in a 75-hour work week like the Lord demands. Is that okay, Todd? Correct. All right. After you've done that, after you have worked your fingers down to the friggin' bones, all right, where we are seeing literally the, the skin is, it, it, we, the bone is exposed. You have worked so hard, the bone is exposed, the skin is gone. And all we see is literally cartilage and marrow. Fair? Fair. At that point now, you've enjoyed an excellent day. Hanging out, relaxing on a Sunday, watching the football, falling asleep in your chair, and I've got just the chair for you. Uh, it's the perfect sleep chair. It's the best chair money can buy for a long day of earned, earned relaxation. All right? Your home is your castle. Make this chair your throne. From therapeutic heat to reclining and an infinite number of positions to adjusting to a lift position so you can easily get up, get you up and out of the chair, not because you've gone full Wally. Maybe you've got a medical condition or you're resting, thing, uh, something of that nature. This chair, it's got everything, man. 
And it does everything your couch can't do. And it's insanely comfortable. Made by Journey Health and Lifestyle. Journey's been making health and home products for well over 20 years. Based right outside of D.C. But don't hold that against them. Uh, never, Despite proximity to that den of iniquity they have just to demonstrate their true character and integrity as a company they have managed to have an a plus uh, rating from the better business bureau so they are a company you can trust we have one of these in our home and trust me it's nice all right so if you want to get one of these perfect sleep chairs uh, go to shopjourney.com slash steve shopjourney.com slash steve use promo code steve at the checkout for 125 dollars off your order 125 bucks off your order at shopjourney.com slash steve make sure you use the promo code steve so they know we sent you promo code steve at shopjourney.com slash steve well in our travels this year we, we, we always get to meet a lot of really cool people and uh, really enjoyed our time out in California this summer, did a couple of events out there in uh, promoting uh, our movie Nefarious. And uh, I got to meet an actor from our neck of the woods, former University of Iowa football player, in fact, who went out to make his way uh, in Hollywood uh, and without losing his soul in the process. And he's in the brand new Daily Wire movie, Lady Ballers. Have you guys seen this yet? No. Okay. So I've, I've a couple of people in the audience saw it, said it was very funny, but I've not had a chance to see it yet. And uh, he went to the premiere and then our next guest, Siaka Masakoi, got a bit of a surprise and uh, not of the uh, Christmas miracle variety. OK, but uh, from the uh, oh, that's the stuff of dystopian novel variety. Uh, he joins us now here on the show. Siaka, it is uh, it's good to see you again, brother. How are you? What's What's up, Steve? Thank you so much for having me on, my friend. Uh, go Hawks! <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Uh, you guys, you guys played very good defense on Saturday night. That's that's uh, that sounds about cold weather familiar. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, none of that flash. That's the West Coast stuff. I'm used to the flash. But yep. Stiffness. Yes, you do. You need a uh, a lot of flash on that offense. It's a miracle that that team went ten and two. I mean, Phil Parker is might be the most underpaid American in America. But that's a that's a <laughs> that's a topic for another show and another podcast. Yeah, we could go into that all day. But thank you for having me here. Man. You bet. Let's. So what happened? You went to the premiere for Lady Ballers with Daily yeah. Wire, right? And, and at the end, I want you to tell us about this movie because we have not had a chance to talk about it yet. But Oh, yeah. But this it's this should amazing. be like a very joy. I know a little bit about going to the premieres of movies that you were involved in. And then yes. after the premiere, you did think it was a great event and you come home from that premiere and all hell breaks loose. Now, it wasn't the feds. It was a bacterial infection. But I, I know a little bit about that. I've got some experience with that. You, I mean, are they mutually exclusive? <laughs> yeah, I mean, did I just repeat myself? Yes. Uh, the feds are a bacterial no. Infection, that's a redundancy. All right, but what happened to you and your wife when you got home? Well, you know, I want to first of all, again, thank you for having me. And I want to point out that at this time before, two years ago, I was raided by the FBI and never charged with anything. So, but in that two years' time, every time I travel, I would be searched constantly at um, the airport. I have to check in at the front desk, 45 minutes to do a background check, then go through, get searched at TSA, special screening, and then get special screening at the gate as well. So that's been going on for two years. Uh, we had the premiere. It was an amazing time. I met a bunch of different people, you know, hung out with Jeremy Boring, and you're over there with with uh, Matt Walsh, and, you know, just all the guys that are part of this production, all the actors that are there, too. It was very awesome night. We had a great time. People were having a good time. 
And the next day, my wife and I were leaving, and I and I have it's really interesting because I happened to put on the same outfit that I wore to fly to Nashville, and I wanted to wear this shirt that said Jesus Save on the back because you know with our culture and everyone don't say his name. I'm like I'm gonna if they're gonna stop me and people are gonna look over, they're gonna see Jesus. Just mm-hmm. that's why I was very important that I wanted to do. So on the way back, we're coming back, and and uh, you know you're tired. It's it's four plus hour flight, and in at Burbank Airport when you land you get off and you walk the tarmac so you don't you don't get off and go right into the um, right into the terminal you walk on the tarmac and when i get off i see as we're coming off i see like there's there's this woman standing over on the side looking up at it seems like at me and i see like a little badge a little necklace badge um and a few other people kind of around but i noticed but i don't really you know grab a hold of it yet until i get down and she comes up and she said, Siakamasco, yeah, it's like, uh, FBI, you're under arrest. Um, come with us, please. And we're like, what? Other other agent goes over to my wife. There's four cops around them. So there's four agents and four cops around them. You know, I get grabbed. And, and I'm like, no, no, no. I was like, what for? And they're like, you know what for? I'm like, no, tell me why I'm being arrested. And I didn't know this at the time, but I guess apparently, you know, if you're under investigation, the FBI doesn't have to tell you what at the moment so that's just i was going off different information and thinking that they should tell you before they cuff you um and you know the guy was like yeah j6 and i'm like well, i didn't do anything wrong and then on j6 the other guys like don't we're not don't talk about it i go he brought it up you know um and one thing i just kept saying was like you guys didn't have to do it like this you know i would have i would have you could have called me and i would have came in um well you know come on let's go over here we don't want to embarrass you i'm like it's too late you're look at what you're doing this is a show um, but you know, they take me away. Fortunately enough, we had, uh, one of our good friends, Amber, who's also in the movie, they, uh, uh, in lady baller, she was on the plane with us. So she was able to stay right there with, um, with, um, Charlotte. And, uh, you know, I, I always like to tell people when I do tell them what happened, I'm like, God was all over this because we were going to take an Uber home. But the night before we talked to Jen and Tatum. And they were working to, um, they were working literally to come and, um, they're working to like, we had to meet up that night and they were doing something like, Hey, can you come pick us up at the airport? And I was like, it was going to work out. So I had a friend Amber with Charlotte as soon as, you know, as soon as she, if we were separated, Charlotte had someone with her and to get taken home. She had, you know, Jen and Tatum, one of our good friends, family friends to take care of her. They stayed the night at the house with her. Um, so I, I, I just, it's just so beautiful how, if it was going to happen, how God orchestrated to take care of my wife. And so, you know, we drive down and take me to this one jail, Monterey Park, because LA was closed and they, they, they booked me in there. Um, and that night, man, I just fell on my knees and I did the Lord's prayer as many times uh, as I could even imagine until like the guard closed the door so she couldn't really hear me anymore. And then later she comes in and asks if there's anything I want to read. And, and uh, or, you know, if I want to read anything, I was like, Hey, if you guys got a Bible, you know, that'd be great. So she ended up having a Bible and I was able to read that till I fell asleep and it wasn't the greatest sleep. Of course, they got me the next morning at 7am. They took me to the U S marshals where then, you know, I was booked in there and sitting in the cell waiting to talk to my lawyer. And then it, it, it was, it was surreal, you know, but one of the, there's a few amazing things that happened in that time was that I was supposed to, I was supposed to meet with the, the, the county, the clerk of the, uh, of the judge and tell her kind of my story. So she gets to know who I am. 
and I'm in that little like four by four room with the with the bulletproof glass, and she's actually on uh, on a tele teleprompter and not like in person. But I that was gonna happen, so I didn't know I could say this to my lawyer or anything. So to me, I didn't get a chance to I won't get a chance to speak to my lawyer before court at one o'clock. So it gets done, a public defender comes on. I was like, no, I have representation. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, that sucks. No one, we were told different information. So now I have to wait till later. 20 minutes after that, man, after I asked the guard to let me out because I was done and the guard was like, we're too busy. My lawyer, Larry Clayman, comes busting into the door with his bag because he just caught the red eye to make it here to at least talk to me beforehand. Steve, like, My, my heart, my, my heart just like, just opened up with joy because, um, I just had a moment to, to at least connect with someone that could help me, you know, someone that could honestly help me that knows me. Um, and, uh, he leaves and I just fall on my knees and start singing Brandon Lake's, uh, gratitude to the top of my lungs, you know, cause you know, one of the things they always say, it's like, you don't just praise him, or I've always heard, you don't just praise him in a good time, you praise him in a bad, and that's all I was doing. Um, then they, they're transferring us over, man, and there was this big dude, he was like 6'2", white guy, who was tatted up from his neck down. And when you come out, they tell you, face the wall, and I'm face the wall right next to this guy, and I'm kind of like, oh, man, just be cool. You're not here to prove nothing, you know? But, and I'm the only one not in a jumpsuit. I'm in my Jesus Save shirt and have uh, my sweatpants and everyone else are in jumpsuits and they're getting ready to transfer us, take us to the vans and take us to the courthouse. And as we're walking, I'm behind, or he's behind me. He goes, Hey man, nice shirt. See if I turn around and I start going, well, yeah, no, Jesus saved my life. And da, 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 And I, God's real. And I've seen it. And then he's like, I know God's real. Blah, blah, blah. We get in the van and two other guys start like chiming in about God's real. We start talking about books like Count of Monte Cristo and the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And we start going into all this, Basically, from that all the way to the courthouse, we're talking about God and novels. And before the, it was like four, it was five of us. And before the five of us started going out for our different, uh, um, you know, uh, hearings for in front of the magistrate, the big, the big white dude who was like six two, been in jail for eighteen years, turns to me and goes, "Hey, man, can you pray for us real quick?" I'm like, "Sure, man. You know, let's let's do it." And so we prayed. And it was just like a just a good feeling in that in the, in that holding cell and. Every guy went out, came back, and were denied. And every time they came back, they were like, oh, she's a B. She's a B. She's terrible. She, she doesn't care to listen to nothing. And I was like, you know, well, and in my head, I'm just kind of planning, well, you know, stay here until I, I get out in my mind. In my mind. And so I go out there, and um, along with my, my wife and my lawyer, there are 15 people that I know from church, there's the pastor that married us. They're all there. As I walk out, they all just stand up. Oof. And I'm like, hmm. I, I, I can't believe the amount of support for the bond hearing. You know, um, I walk up, my wife, she comes around, she's stoic, ready to go, you know, pregnant with this all this black dress. She's wearing my wedding ring right on, on her necklace and she's holding her Bible and she comes in and she's, sits down next she's or she stands there too and so we just had this amount of support and, and love out there and we we're going through the process and it seemed like everyone from 
the the court side was really confused at the level of what was going on based on what the charges were. So, you know, they, we had all the basics. You can't leave California without letting them know. You can't leave the country without court. I had to turn in my passport right then and there so I could go home. Part of the release, we have a, a OR bond of um, $1,000. She docked it down from five. So that was showing some leniency there, um, you know, and then she ordered my release but here's some of the other crazy things when i say how god was all over this in my statement for um for red state so i'm leaving thinking it's over i'm like man i can i just have to go through the process of getting out i come to find out from charlotte later that some of the stuff wasn't done properly to sign me out which included my signature but i was already gone court was closing in 10 minutes but i was already gone the da was gone one of our friends who, who, who very, uh, I would say, um, endearingly, uh, named her car after me about a year ago <laughs> Her little, like speed racing car. She, she takes off and runs through the courthouse trying to find this DA finds him on the phone, grabs him, brings him back. We need you. The, the county clerk was like, I got to catch my train. My other people were like, we'll give you a ride because we need to get him out. And they were able to let my lawyer sign on my behalf. And again, I had no idea about this part. I thought I'm all good. So they finally let me out. I, I you know, I'm walking out and I, in the middle of the building, I see there's no one else. I see my wife and I see my lawyer and I go out, we give each other love. I go outside and then everyone else that was there shows up and we're giving each other love in front of the uh, share or Marshall's building. And it, it was as harrowing and as terrible as, as it could be for anyone, man. Like I always say, no one can tell me God isn't real. And I saw him work um, in that situation. And I, I just I just praise him, man. No matter what happens, I just, excuse me, sorry. Um, like, yeah, we go to charges are ridiculous. Yeah, they shouldn't have done it that way in my estimate and a lot of other people, but but what I found in that situation was uh, just more proof of his glory. You know, what are they? What are they? What are they? What are they claiming you did on January sixth, vis-a-vis what you actually did? What were you doing there? Well, so I went down for, of course, for the to hear Trump speak. After that, instead of marching down to the Capitol. I went back to the hotel that was the Marriott across the street from the Freedom the Freedom Plaza, which is about a 20 minute walk from where we had, you know, because we were standing up by the Lincoln Memorial because it was so big. So I went back to the hotel and I was kind of done because I was like, yeah, you know, I've been to the rallies. I've, this is my third time in D.C. I was like, yeah, I've seen it, you know. Uh, but then I was like, I was like, let me see what the news is saying. So I turned on MSNBC and there are, you know, reporters with no, no real one behind them, except you see cop cars go by and they're like, it's a summer time and, and what's going on in America. And there, there was a shot fired. And I'm like, what? I'm like, she's lying. So I put on my boots. I'm like, I'm going to go down there, find that camera person and stand behind them. You know, like those people do when you see them just kind of doing crazy stuff behind the camera woman. I was like, I'm going to get behind them and talk about how they're lying. Stand behind the reporter being like, they're lying, they're lying. That, that was the reason why I went down to the Capitol. Just so it was clear, that was the reason why I didn't go down initially because I was following to go protest. I was going because I wanted to find that camera person. As I go down, people are coming back the other way. And I'm like, oh, is it done? What's going on? They're like, oh, no, there's still people there. 
I'm walking, meandering, was taking pictures, not a big, like there was no energy of anything negative happened. It's from, from the Marriott down to the Capitol. That's about a 30 minute walk. So between me, 20 minutes going back to the room, hanging out there and then leaving, it had to at least been 40 minutes to an hour before. And that's after everything started taking off. So by the time I got there, everything seemed to be more of like after the fact. So I'm like, whoa, I start, I walked up the scaffold, saw so I start like recording around and people were making statements and I got this, all this on tape, by the way. And I'm looking at different things. And then that one infamous door that they show all the time that got busted open, that was where I happened to be. I had no idea it was that, you know, that was that area until after the fact. Um, and I'm recording and people were kind of walking. I was like, yeah, they're letting people in here. Some people are like, oh yeah, they're letting people in. I was like, oh, I got to see what's going on. And I'm shuffling in with everyone. I'm looking around and we get close and, you know, I pass the threshold and I'm looking. And when I pass the threshold, boom, everything just kind of stopped. Like they stopped letting us move. And so I turned to one guy and I asked him, I go, man, you know, what's going on? I was like, hey, I heard. And this is the rumors that were going around when I was walking around. I was like, I heard they got on Nancy Pelosi's desk. These guys are like, oh, I don't know. I was like, oh, okay. And turn around over here. And then one guy in an all black, you know, um, all black uh, uh, outfit, like a ride gear comes in. He goes, I need you guys to go back the other way. I was like, okay, you're cool. We're going to do it. We're being reasonable. Like, don't do anything crazy. I'm not trying to get beat up. Like, uh, you know, we're being reasonable. I'm going to tell them. And I literally turn around. I tell them, hey, guys, get out. We got to go back the other way. And according to the report themselves, I was in there for two minutes. I even go, I would go back around the other side or one of the windows that was broken. They, you know, I think it was actually the window where the flag, somebody threw a flag or pole or something through. And I had seen one of the cops there who got hit in the head with a canister still when I had first walked up. And he's standing there. And I'm like, hey, man, are you okay? That was messed up what they did. Again, I have this on tape. I was like, are you Okay. This is messed up what they did to you. That wasn't cool. Mm. And then we started kind of just cracking jokes because, you know, that's kind of my nature. I started just saying something funny, right? So I uh, started cracking jokes. And then I just walked around the perimeter looking at what was going on, seeing a couple people trying to push other men in there, which that was very indicative of the Beverly Hills rallies we're having here, where some Antifa guys would dress up as Trump supporters and yell back at Antifa to get people riled up. So I, it was something I noted. I saw that happen twice. And then I just walked back to the hotel and thought nothing of it until, you know, they came and raided my house two years ago. All right. I got about six minutes here. What's next? Well, you know, um, I would love everyone go and check out our gifts and go uh, for support because um, I've seen other J6ers and what they do there. They come down with the full weight on mom and pops on people trying to just create their own life and build something. Um, yeah, I've done movies and, and, and uh, I've done some shows, but the artist's life isn't, sometimes cannot be a fruitful one or consistently fruitful. So like, we don't have all the funds in the world. And, and I've seen even what they did to General Flynn, that they would do stuff like this to bury you and, and financially ruin you. Um, we do have a kid on the way. So we're working to make sure our funds are, are, are if, if God forbid I have to go away, that she could be taken care of. Um, and at the same time, we want to get with the little bit of platform that I have, a lot of people, a lot of people, J6 that did similar or charged with similar things that I am have gone you know, away into the night. And so we miss out on what I believe is true injustice of our system right now to come and, and, and treat people like that over misdemeanors that can easily be proven at the same time. I didn't knowingly trespass as soon as I was told to leave, I left. 
you know, I didn't disorderly conduct that rule. Just holding the phone, looking around, and wasn't trying to stop anything. So, you know, people can just spread the story, you know, being on shows like this and then spreading the story about shows like this, sharing with your friends. Because, again, what I believe is we have to slow down and take a, a real look. And it's not just because it happened to me. And this is, I've been, since they raided me, I've been in contact and aware of a lot of other day sixers that have just been snatched up in the middle of the night or just been thrown in jail and then sitting there for six months for nothing. We as a country have to say no and to say, I don't care if you're a Republican or Democrat, this isn't a country you want to live that they're coming after people for misdemeanors because it won't just be our side all the time. Mm -hmm. And it eventually would just be everyone. I've got that information, by the way, folks. Um, I will uh, uh, put that up on my uh, my socials uh, throughout the course of the day. Let me actually call up right now. I forgot to do this, Siakam, my bad. Let me call up the last text that you sent me so that I can uh, share that information with everybody right now here in uh, real time. Um, oh, thank you. It is, uh, look for, if you go to Give, Send, Go, you go to givesendgo.com, Siaka Masakoy, the legal defense fund there, S-I-A-K-A, S-I-A-K-A, M-A-S-S-A-Q-U-O-I, M-A-S-S-A-Q-U-O-I on Give, Send, Go. And I'll have all this up on uh, my social medias uh, throughout uh, at some point here later today as well. So you can look for all of those there. Before we let you go, brother, tell us about the movie. Is it good? Oh man, the movie is so funny. It's so funny. Like, uh, dude, dude, where's my car? You have your white chicks, uh, Joanna man, like all that type of humor. Honestly, it's the type of humor that we've been missing for so long. I think the B has been hinting at it and we're doing that stuff to remind us that we can laugh in this way. But to have a movie that's long form gives you the feel of your bad news bears meets airplane meets, you know, uh, uh, the white chicks type of feel. It just and it goes it goes just hard enough at everything and still stay to me stays classy for the audience. It doesn't throw you too far out there. It doesn't get into kind of gross humor too much, but it does. It's slapstick. It's silliness. And I think National Lampoons. Um, and it was it was it was amazing because I'll tell you like this one. I had I had a, I played the announcer in a Deuce Johnson. And it's not a huge part, but it was a part that when I got there, I was like, I'm going to make the most of this because I think it can be, I was thinking of, I used Al Roker, not, yeah, Al Roker, not Al Roker, sorry, um, Euchre, Bob Euchre from, uh, from uh, uh, Major League is mm-hmm. my, was my uh, inspiration to play this character. So everything was a little big, you know, um, and one of the greatest moments of the premiere was walking up, seeing Jeremy Boring and going, hey man, thank you again. And the first thing he said was, dude, super funny. I was like, oh. Great, you know, because you only have a few lines. Sometimes you don't know if it can they can see everything you can do. And so, uh, for that to be his first thing he said was was something it was really kind of really told me that I did the job. They were proud of it. And and let me tell you guys this about support. Dallas Dallas Sonier, the producer of Bonfire, main producer for for uh, for Daily Wire, called my wife that night. And and the next day, sorry. The next day he called me and we talked and he said, just so you know, we're not ashamed of you. We got your back. Um, we wouldn't be friends if we, if we didn't keep out there, keep talking about the movie, keep, you know, supporting yourself, all that. We live in an industry in Hollywood where the hint of a allegation had people lose their careers. 
and to have a producer and have a production company stand up for you like that. Like they didn't have to do it, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's a beautiful thing. So, you know, go with lady ballers in general. I think, yes, it's funny, but it represents that what we're doing with Hollywood for freedom and what we need in the conservative world can't exist. It represents the opportunity to to totally change it, do that process differently, bring in good people to be a part of that process and share our stories and and get us back to just that American grounding, that American storytelling that we've been missing and so, so sorely lacking in the last few years. So yeah, go watch you guys, check out, check it out and look for deuce. (laughs) (laughs) Good to see you brother. And, uh, actually we're coming out for the Rose bowl at, uh, at the end of the month. Yeah. With uh, Michigan in the Rose bowl. So maybe we'll get a chance to say hello and see you guys. All right. So keep us love that. We'd love to have you over. Yeah. Keep us posted. And, uh, if there's more we can do, I'll get this out to our audience on our socials later today and keep us posted on your story. All right. Of course. Thank you, Steve. Thank you guys for having me on again. Uh, Completely appreciated. God bless you guys. You bet, man. Merry Christmas to all of you out there, too. Still tell everybody I said hello. Merry Christmas. All right. Thank you. Will do. Okay. All right, guys. What do you think? That conversation with Mark Driscoll about what a man is has everything to do with what we just heard. Because as a uh, black man in this country, if you're George Floyd, uh, the system will burn down cities on your behalf. If you're Siaka, they'll throw you in a hole to make an example out of you. We've come a long, long, long way from Dr. Martin Luther King and content of character because the opposite is true now. You're not allowed to be Siaka, to stand on your own two feet, to have an independent opinion. You just aren't allowed. There may be things that come out from January 6th and the footage that uh, Speaker Johnson has promised to release uh, that may paint some different pictures than maybe the, the, the prevailing narrative on the right has been. That doesn't mean, however, that what's being done here to people like Siaka is absolute evil and left unabated. He's absolutely right. It's not just going to be on the right that they target. It's going to be everyone. That's dystopian. We can't do that. More in a moment. Diversify your savings with physical precious metals while stockpiling silver in your home via Birch Gold Group. It's their most popular special of the year. Now through December 22nd, for every $5,000 you spend with Birch Gold, they'll send you a one-ounce silver eagle coin for free. Take advantage of this by texting Steve to 989-898 to claim your eligibility now. Text Steve to 989-898. You can purchase gold and silver, have it shipped directly to your home, or 
Have Birch Gold's precious metal specialist help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold for no money out of your pocket. They'll send you free silver for every $5,000 you purchase. Keep it for yourself. Give something with real value as a stocking stuffer this year. Just text the keyword Steve to 989-898 to claim your eligibility. With an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and thousands of happy customers, now's the best time to buy gold from Birch Gold. Text Steve to 989-898 to claim your eligibility for the free silver on qualifying purchases before December 22nd. Text Steve to 989-898. By the way, it has been a near two-year slog. Actually, let me double check right now before I... I may just jinx it. Hold on a second. Give me a minute here. It has been, yes, it has been a nearly two-year slog. But my Bitcoin investment is finally in the black. It's finally Mine in the too. black. I'm like, I actually like looking at the price of Bitcoin. Yeah, once. yeah. I'm, what, I'm just, what I'm figuring out is how long I'm going to let it sit in there before I hit the withdraw. Oh, I'm just holding it forever. Yeah, I'm not, I'm probably not doing that. <laughs> I don't have as much as you do in there, but uh, I'm just holding it forever. I, I was in, I was in on that because to me, it's, I'm, I'm in, I'm, I'm in it for movement purposes more than investment purposes. But if we're going to, we're going to create a, a cryptocurrency that basically responds to many of the same market forces as the other currencies, then it seems like less of a movement to me now and more of an investment. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. All right. And so if we're going to just respond to the same natural business cycles that every other currency does, and that's before the government creates a digital currency to compete with us. Well, then at that point, don't tell Jordan on that. Don't tell Jordan I said this because he will, he'll, he'll embarrass me and make me feel bad. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But don't tell Shaktel. I keep everything I'm saying. Do not share any of this with Shaktel. I will find you. Okay. (laughs) When this, when this, uh, when this uh, climb in the Bitcoin price took off, Jordan DM'd me and he's like, did you sell? Did you sell? Did you? No, I didn't. I didn't. Because again, I did this because of the movement. We did a whole book study on this last year. Remember, I, I'm in for the for the. I'm in because I thought it was, I thought it was a subterfuge. You know, I I thought it was a chance. This was a, a, a parallel economy. And then I sat back for the last two years and watched my Bitcoin investment, which was not insignificant. Um, I watched it basically behave the way any other investment would behave to natural market forces. Well, that's not. I mean, that's not subversive to me. I mean, so at that point, now I'm just going to treat it like an investment. We had a bull market right now. So I'm going to wait this bull market out for a little bit, probably hit withdraw, and uh, take my uh, ROI and look to put that money into something else, I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I've all, I always footnote when we talk about issues like this. I, finance monetary policy it is so boring to me so that so that i know enough to be conversational yeah. Yeah. but like this to me bitcoin always even before we read that book it see and it was a good book it was fascinating yes, it was. and i learned something it yep. was a really good book yeah i kind of initially glossed over like you were gonna make me read about aliens again <laughs> um <laughs> but it it's still ultimately bitcoin seems to me like the spinal tap thing where he it, it, bitcoin seems to be saying but oz goes up to 11 and i'm like rob reiner like why don't you just make it louder and go up to 10 and and my my version of that is why don't you just take your country back 
and have sound real monetary policy because i just don't see how bitcoin or any other alternative when the point is destroying this nation root and branch what what how can bitcoin matter at all in the end of the day i don't know i don't know am i crazy for thinking that well i, mean, I would have said no before i made my investment which is why i made my investment yeah. it was again to be a part of a movement but i made that investment of january of 22 i have sat here now for nearly two years It'll be two years next month, and I've watched my Bitcoin investment behave as any other, until now, as well as, as any other investment in any other market in a, in a down cycle in the economy thereabout. And so now I'm asking myself, well, what's subversive about this? Yeah. If it's just going to, all I'm doing is investing in a tough to, tougher, it's a, a, a tough to exchange currency where it's not easy to actually put that to work to go purchase something with it at, at a store, for example. Right. And so I have less spending power with this currency, which I was, I knew going in, but I thought I was part of a subversive movement. And then I just watched it behave the same way that the other currencies do. And so then I'm like, well, now, now I have less spending power and i'm not subversive so what is the point to that yeah. it's just another investment to me and i just don't think the cheat codes are gonna they're not gonna matter if they won't ultimately let you play the game at all there's that too all right let's get to pop culture tuesday speaking of playing yeah. games all right yep perfect segue the hunger games prequel which has a terrible title it's they should have just called it the hunger no. games prequel what is it? The ballad of uh, Ricky Bobby, Songbirds John, and, and Yoko. It's perfect. It's all explained just like everything else. It's perfect. Okay. It is. You know why Todd thinks it's perfect? Because it's difficult. That's why it's Todd not thinks at it's all perfect. Difficult. <laughs> it's difficult. It's so difficult with my near photographic memory. I cannot remember what it's called. I just ballad of songbirds and snakes. Thank you. I just That's remembered right. it was yeah. the Hunger Games prequel. Now I had no plans to see this. I I guess I just assumed because it's a pretty easy assumption to make here in this era that this was just going to be a woke makeover of a beloved movie franchise. Oh, yeah. All right. So I wasn't going to see it at all. Wasn't on my list. Wasn't on my radar. My son ended up going on a date with his girlfriend to see it because she's a massive Hunger Games fan. You know, that's their generation. She grew up like our daughters did, you know, loving Katniss okay, yes. and seeing those movies. And uh, and he was like, I'm kind of taking one for the team. And then he came home that night after their date. and he, He's like, that was actually really good. He doesn't say that about a lot of movies nowadays. He's become a very uh, choosy. We'll use that term. A very choosy cinephile. My son Noah has. And uh, okay. Well, wow. You got... You got Noah's attention. That's that's hard for a movie to do these days. And then I read your review. And you, when you saw it, your review was what? It's just amazing. I mean, it's just... it The, the, the reverence for the... And it's the same person who wrote the book, but I don't... I can't remember if this is the same director as the other ones, but like the the belief in its own source material, the respect for it. I mean, this... If Star Wars would have been this faithful... Good grief. I mean, it, it is just, and here's the amazing thing about this. You, you will go, if you go to make my point, I think you could go as a fan of a, the genre of what would you, you know, dystopian movies, Steve, sci-fi-ish, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. I think you could go and enjoy this movie, but there's no way I don't think you could walk out of it as great because its sole purpose is not only respecting its source material, but bringing it to life in what was already a well-loved franchise. It just, its greatness is because 
it came after what happened in the first four movies. I, I just, I was stunned. I was absolutely stunned. My 13-year-old, my youngest daughter, she loves the, uh, this franchise. And I love that about her because she gets uh, the, 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 the meat on the bone, the depth of it. She's the one who got, I, my wife and I, early on in our, whenever the first one came out, watched the movie. I thought that's okay. And then I never went off and watched the other ones until my daughter got me into it. It's to me, it just keeps getting better and better and better. The world they create, and then they just build on it in this. It's this is not just some grift to make more money. The, the, the both, I, I imagine the book, uh, my wife read it. She, she says it's faith. The movie is faithful to it. I just, I can't speak highly. I'm just so not used to even an attempt We've seen it so often fail, now with Marvel and often too. This is just why great movies are possible because it it's it it has a sense of purpose other than a cashing in. There's there's a theme in this film that makes you wonder, do they know what they are saying? All right. We're gonna get to it in a second. But it seems like the perfect time talking about a future where people are starving and supplies are scarce. Okay, and uh, in order for people to get food, they have to fight to the death in what's called the Hunger Games. Seems like a good segue to talk about our friends over at My Patriot Supply. All right, um, I mean, hey, we still live pretty high on the hog here in America, but it never. It is, I don't know that it has felt unless you were alive in the Great Depression, and none of us here were. Um, in our lifetime, that's never felt more possible. Like that, something like a major food emergency could happen than right now. Just make sure you're ready. It's better to be prepared and then not need it than to need it and not be prepared. Go to preparewithdace.com to get that preparation right now. Get the, the three-month emergency food kit from our friends at My Patriot Supply. Uh, it's breakfast, lunch, dinner, all three meals, and then they even throw in drinks and snacks. So the full 2,000-plus calories you need. Uh, they've got well over a dozen different kinds of meals and sides so that you can mix and match for variety. Uh, this all stays good for up to a quarter of a century with proper shelf life. And right now you can take $200 off if you order by 3 p.m. It'll ship free that day. It'll ship free that day. And you can take $200 off at preparewithdace.com. That's preparewithdace.com. Again, head over there right now. If you order by 3 p.m., it'll ship for free that day. And you can take $200 off at preparewithdace.com. So one of the... What we watch in this film is, it, it, you're it, similar. You're watching the devolution of the man we will come to know as President Snow, and you watch his devolution. It's a very Anakin Skywalker like devolution, except this is actually portrayed in a. This is much better filmmaking, yes, than what we got from Lucas in the Star Wars prequels. Um, this is captivating. Um, for example, uh, you know. Hayden Christensen's Anakin Skywalker is a whiny brat that you want to reach back like a pimp and slap the hoe from the very first scene he ever appears. I mean, he is he is an absolute teenage brat. That's, that's, he's, he's very unlikable for large stretches. You don't empathize with him for large stretches. He talks back to his master. I mean, he's just a kid that needed someone to break their foot off in his backside, if you go back and remember those films. Yeah. From, and so when he devolves to, to Darth Vader, frankly, it almost seems like it is a fulfillment of the arc he was always on. It's not a, it's not, this isn't a tragic fail, right. okay? What you see with President Snow is the opposite. It did not have to go like this. But the system that he is tied to is so corrupt 
that there's really no way out. Even when, even at the beginning, when he tries to find a way out, there is no, there is no other way out. And one of the things that's missing here is any transcendence. The state is the only transcendent thing. And so there's no transcendence. There's nothing that gives you a perspective beyond your currently earthly circumstances. Nothing where you would say, this world is not my home. I'm in the world and not of it. Okay, I'm accountable to something. There's another life after this that goes on forever. And I will be accountable in that life for my actions. And none of that takes place. And so minus that perspective, where the state is in whom we live and breathe, and there is no transcendence outside of the state, then there is no reason to resist it. In fact, what would be the what would be the sane rationale to do that? No one's offered you any alternative paradigm. No one's offered you a, a, a situation outside of that paradigm. And so he ends up embracing it and ends up becoming the character that you'll see in later on in, in the previous films portrayed so brilliantly by Donald Sutherland. And And so... That's one part of the story that made me wonder, do they understand what they are saying? I mean, in a place where there is nothing other than the state, then this is what the, this is what the human condition will do. This is what it will become uh, in and of itself. But then also, the way that the games are portrayed, and we'll, we'll try to do this as spoiler-free as possible, but there's a reoccurring theme in the film. There's a question that gets asked routinely during the film, and that question is, what is the purpose of the Hunger Games? What is the purpose of the games? We're not, we're not going to tell you what answer is ultimately given in the film because we don't want to spoil it. We, both Todd and I would highly recommend it. There really isn't any objectionable material from a, a profanity or nudity standpoint in the movie whatsoever. All right. Pretty safe for all ages, provided they can understand the, 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 the mature subject matter that's mature in terms of um, the level of conversation taking place, not mature in terms of what we usually put a TVMA sticker on a film for. Um, so we don't want to spoil what that answer is. But the fact, the, the way that, let's talk about Todd, the way the question is weighted and tie it to the society in which we live today. Oh, well, it's... Uh... Early well, early on, this the, the movie movie starts ten years after the end of the original war. So this is the tenth Hunger Games, mm-hmm. and whatever you what whatever the history is, who is at fault or anything like that, it's not it's not history or justice that matter to people. People after ten years are getting bored. Of the Hunger Games. This is a question at the beginning of the movie if the Hunger Games will survive. So, what do they have to do to mesh the interest of the games to the people themselves? Let me just say we on the show regularly talk about the people are the problem. That's in there. The people are the problem. One of the things that uh, I discuss in a nefarious plot or the character I created, Lord Nefarious, discusses in a nefarious plot is that in our society, institutions were created by the framing and founding generations of the country to prevent external corruption agents from polluting the country, from invading it subversively uh, and undoing it from the outside in. 
And so hell understood, therefore, it was going to have to corrupt society from the inside Mm -hmm. out, that the people would have to be the problem. The people would have to, the institutions could not turn on the people. The people must turn the institutions to then turn on the people themselves. Yes. And that's, that's kind of what you see happen here. And this all makes, I tell you what, I, it, Donald Sutherland was brilliant. You understood him as a fantastic baddie watching the first four movies. Now you go back, and I think about those other movies again, and my daughter's gone back and watched some of them, so I've caught some of it again. His obsession with the games themselves because of his own past, it makes his... Why he doesn't just pull the plug on them all the more, why he must carry it out with this, the games, with the show, it's it's profound. You will, if you are a fan of the Steve Day show, you will be a fan of this. I agree. And you'll walk out of there asking yourself, do they do they understand what they're really saying? Did, did they really intentionally mean to say some of the things that this film says? See you tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern after Glenn Beck, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.